Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Excited to be with you. Uh, what we're doing this summer, though, is having one speaker for all four services. So, um, unfortunately, uh, after I teach this morning, I have to leave and go to 905, and then my car is parked at 905. I'll get in the car and drive down to Hudson, and then after preaching at Hudson, I'll come back here for 11 o'clock. What are you doing today? Uh, I love it. I love it. Uh, an old man named Charles Spurgeon, he's dead, but he said if a sermon's worth preaching once, it's worth preaching a thousand times. And I agree that with that. I got the best job in the world. Um, open your Bibles to Matthew 7. If you're not there, if you don't have a Bible, grab it in the pew in front of you. Uh, we're talking about parables, and you know this, but the deepest um, stories, uh, the deepest convictions in our hearts are shaped by the stories we value. Let me say that again. The deepest convictions in our hearts are shaped by the stories we value. There was a grand narrative in my life growing up centered around a picture. There's a picture uh, taken in uh, turn of the century, 190-something, uh, and it was about my great-grandfather uh, in Lucca, Italy, uh, a poor, disheveled man with a you know, disheveled sweater in front of a Gadini family home that has as its capstone 1796. And this story was, I mean, this picture was center in our home growing up. And my father would always tell the story. This story made it at every one of the Gadini kid weddings because stories shape our convictions. My father told the story of uh, Hillsburg where my family immigrated, where they settled way up in Hillsburg and on farms. And it was the height of the depression. He was a little boy. And uh, at that dinner table, as a Gadini family gathered, there wasn't a lot of money uh, and there wasn't a lot of food, just the game that they caught, that they went hunting for, Swiss chard and other things that they got off the farm. And before the family gathered to pray, my grandfather raised a glass of homemade wine, stopped the whole dinner. Grandfather I never knew, he died when my dad was 21. And he said, who's richer than we are today? Expressing the value of family and the wealth that comes through relationships, that grand narrative shaped my life and has worked down through the generations. Now that my dad is long gone, that narrative, my kids know that story, um, my nephews and nieces know that story, the deepest convictions of our hearts are shaped by the stories we cherish. Uh, parables are small, brief stories that pack a big, life-changing meaning. And Jesus was the master storyteller, the master. He wasn't the original storyteller, though. There are parables in the Old Testament. Ezekiel told parables. In the Proverbs, there's parables. How many of you were here last week for Father's Day? Remember, we talked about a parable when David, a man after God's own heart, when he was king, he was a man after another woman, right? Bathsheba. And he sinned with Bathsheba, and that sin had a trickle effect. And I'm sure he was convicted by the Holy Spirit, but he turned his heart towards that conviction and turned away from it. I'm sure people came to him and said, David, this is wrong, and he wouldn't listen to him. But then the prophet comes and thinks, how am I going to get to him? He goes, oh, I know. I'll use story. I'll try to get to him in a way that head-on-head confrontation won't get to him. 
And so he tells him a story, and we talked about that last week, and it says that David's heart was broken. The story snuck up on him and got him in a way that face-to-face confrontation won't. These stories are going to do the same for us all summer long. And that's the point of parables, to get at our heart so God can change our lives. To get at our heart so God can change our lives. When's the last time you lived from your heart, people? When's the last time God's word got through your head and seeped down eight inches or 12 inches to your heart, to the core of your being? That's where life shaping takes place. If you're taking notes, free of charge, everybody. It's not even in the slide deck. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your what? Heart. Guard your heart. It is the core of your being. And that's exactly what these parables are going to do. They're going to get right to our heart. So Jesus, like I told you, like Ben told you, the master storyteller, and the best stories by far ever told were the parables Jesus told. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you know his stories, right? The stories of the good Samaritan or the prodigal son. In the gospel, Jesus told roughly 40 parables, 40 stories. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, something we call the synoptic gospels, about 35% of the red letters in the Bible, Jesus' teaching, are story form. So a third of the time he was teaching, he was telling stories. So if you want to understand who Jesus is, if you want to understand his life message, you must journey through the greatest stories ever told through his parables. You can't know Jesus. You can't know what life is like in the kingdom of God if you don't know the parables. It just won't happen. It was too important. Here's how parables function. Uh, They create another world for us. They bring us in like that video did into another world, right? And from that world, we get a new perspective on our own world. We jump into the story and then we look back at our life from the perspective of the story and life change happens in a way that didactic teaching can't change our lives. How many of you need a life change? Am I the only one? Yeah, I really want that. I don't want to be the same in a year or three years or five years. I want to continue to grow to look like Christ. And that will only happen through parables. So the purpose of the parable is to help us see our life in our world from another perspective, from heaven's perspective. We need that, don't we? Yeah, we sure do, especially in these times. So this summer, we're going to explore some of the greatest stories ever told and discover how to live well in another kingdom, how to live in this world, but living for another kingdom, the kingdom of God. And today's parable is going to reinforce the value, actually, that you have hanging in front of you every week. Bottom left. See it? Living what, church? Living the? Come on. Living the? Yeah, I don't want you just to know the word. I don't want you to just win at Bible trivia games. Goal is to live it to live it. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in the most, his first parable. We're looking at the first parable he told and he walked after the most famous sermon he ever gave. When I'm with somebody who just met Christ and they're wondering, how do I grow as a Christian? I tell them, master three texts. I mean, the whole Bible is the word of God. It's all useful for teaching, for reproof, for growing in righteousness. But if you had to master any three portions of scripture, master these three, Psalm 23, Romans 8, and the Sermon on the Mount. Come back to them time and time and time again. Psalm 23, Romans 8, 
and the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus is just done with his breakout sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's his interpretation, by the way, if you're digging a little bit, of the Torah, the Jewish law. Jesus comes out and says, let me give you as a rabbi my interpretation of Torah. And then he's coming to his close, and every great homiletician knows they have something called a haymaker. A haymaker, it's called, I learned that in preaching class. I paid a lot of money for that, okay, <laughs> that word. But it's when you tie everything together so that people remember and it packs a punch. And he's thinking, how will I have people remember my most famous sermon ever told? And he goes, ah, I'll tell a story. And Jesus teaches a parable. So are your Bibles open? Look at this parable, okay? There's actually two stories told side by side. And in each story, look for yourself, Two elements are similar, and one element is different. So Jesus is telling two parables in one parable. He did that a lot. In Luke 15, he tells three parables in one parable. Uh, but in here, it's two. And two are similar, but one element is contrasting. So he's inviting us, saying, PCC, in Revit City, 2018, come with me into another world. Come with me into the first century, and, and let's go into the world of building. And he invites us in that, that he's going to stop and have us turn and say, now look at your life from this world. Which builder are you? It's masterful. Oh my gosh, it's masterful. So let's look at the similarities first, okay? Here's the first. In each story, and listen, I didn't need a seminary degree for this, okay? This is just basic human reasoning, okay? I just read the text like you should be doing every day, right? You probably do. I know you do. In each story, each person builds a house, Okay? Very simple, right? Each person builds a house. Jesus' first parable about building shouldn't, shouldn't surprise us. What was Jesus' uh, job, his profession, before he became the savior? Well, he was always the savior of the world, but before he went public, what was his profession? Carpenter, right? So he goes, let me tell you about what I know and pull something from real life. And in Jesus' parable, the house is an analogy for your life, for my life, right? We're all building something significant, with our own one and only life. You never stop building. You never stop building. I um, have the privilege of sitting with people um, 70, 80 and above and talking to them and, and talking about what will the last chapter of your life story be? How are you gonna finish building this one and only life? You only have one life, right? And how's it going building that? And it's never too late to retrofit. We'll get to that in a little bit. But think about what this means for you. What is it that's significant that you're building in your life? It could be your career. Uh, it could be a relationship that's important to you. It could be your legacy. Teenagers, it could, well, we don't have many teens in here, but your, your college application portfolio. It's very important to teenagers today. I got to do community service. Got to get good grades. I got to be on this team. They're building something for the future. We know about that, right? Proverbs 24.3 says this, look at this. By wisdom, a house is built and through understanding it's established. So the big idea, bottom of page one, then we'll jump into, um, into the second page. The big idea is this. We're each building our one and only life the foundation you use to build our lives upon will make or break you. Our foundation makes or breaks us, okay? And I'm gonna build that out and try to um, defend that in the rest of our message. The second similarity in each story, each house faces a storm, right? 
In fact, Jesus, the greatest storyteller, makes it a very dramatic storm. Look at how he puts it. He doesn't say then a storm came. He says, no, the rains fell. The floods came. Can you hear his inflections in this? He's pulling people into the story. The winds blew and beat against the house. It's as if Jesus is pulling us into the house. He wants you to feel the fear the bit of trepidation when the storm's coming and wondering, did I build right, okay? This is not a parable about weather, though. It's not a parable about avoiding storms. It's a parable, you ready? About building houses for storms. Can anyone relate to a life storm? I mean, my goodness, you guys, you guys have your doctorate in it, right? I mean, Ben, uh, we should have just closed the service after your one-minute synopsis of your your accident and having kneeling on the rock. But life storms come, health storms, relational storms, financial storms, career storms, character storms, cultural storms. The question is, that's when you find out, is what I built my life upon, the ideology, the philosophy that I put my one and only life on, will it hold me through the storms. Okay, what's the difference in the parable? Someone tell me. There's one difference in the parable. The foundation. I love it. We have, that's so awesome. Very intelligent people. Yeah, the foundation. And that's the point of the story. That's where Jesus wants to draw our attention. He says one house is built on the rock. The other is built on the sand. You have two options. Turn to page two and let's look at them for our remaining time together. Building your life on a strong foundation. Let's jump into the story again. Benji did such a great job reading that. I loved it. He says, therefore, and that therefore is very important, okay? If you have a Bible, I encourage you, circle the therefore. It is there. Jesus is saying to us, I am going to sum up the previous three chapters in five verses right now. I want you to look back to Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, and here's the whole point. If you want the spark notes, if you're too lazy to read three chapters and only want to read five verses of the Sermon on the Mount, here it is. Here's a summary. Therefore, everyone, stop. At this point, we're going to be here till noon, right? We're just going to go word by word. But don't miss this. This is so important, everybody. This is universal stuff. Everyone. How inclusive is that? Who, what person who's ever been born doesn't get included in that everyone? Anyone want to tell me? They don't exist. This is for all people in all time, in every culture. Jesus is saying, I am the savior of the world and trust me, this is for everybody. Okay? So in other words, this means you. This means me. Jesus is making claim for you. And the question we always have to wrestle with, including me, is do I believe him? And more importantly, will I obey? Right? So he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, hears. Uh, I paid a lot of money for counseling, and Ann and I go to counseling all the time. It's the only way we've had a good marriage over 27 years. It takes tools, right? Every healthy relationship is built upon good listening. Good listening requires healthy curiosity. Questions like, what do you mean by that? 
Questions like, are you saying? Questions like, can you help me understand more? That's healthy curiosity. And that's what a good relationship is built on. Those questions show a person's engaged. And Jesus is inviting the same. He's saying, hey, listen, I want a good relationship with you. You've got to hear me. You may not agree with me, but you have to hear me. And don't formulate your yeah, but. Just drop your defenses and listen. That's what he's saying. Everyone who hears these words of mine, and here's the key phrase, and puts them into practice. If you left with only one conviction today, I want those four words to be our conviction. We are not hearers of the word only. We are doers. And those four words are the difference between building on a solid foundation and building on the sand. Did you know obedience is God's love language? Do you know that? I'll show you. I, I can go to a, a ton of scriptures. Let's just point to a few. Let's go to uh, 1 John chapter 2. John said, and we can be sure we know him if we obey his commands. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey, and that word obey, you can just put those four words I want you to leave with, puts them into practice. If you don't put them into practice, that person is a liar. Wow, it's offensive. Don't tell me that, John. You're hurting my feelings. And John's going, your feelings matter less to me than your Christ-likeness. You're not living in the truth. But those who obey God's words truly show how completely they love him. How do you show God you love him? What's your love language? God's saying this is what his. I'm married to an incredible woman. Doesn't matter what my love language is. I've got to love her in a way that her love language is received. Do you understand that? This is God's love language. Those who put God's word into practice truly show how completely they love him. This is how we know we're living in him. Now, we know this in other areas of our life, right? Can I take a moment and pry? We know that hearing isn't enough in other areas of our lives, right? Hearing isn't enough. Uh, can I pry? Can I do that? Should we just close right now? Let's talk about flossing. Dental floss. How many of you know, oh, by the way, I love this ad. This is me. Okay, go to the next one, the, the joke. I don't always floss, but when I do, I have a dentist appointment in 20 minutes. Can I get an amen? Okay. That's my experience with flossing prior to 10 years ago. I brushed. I thought that was enough. Dentist told me, can you go to the next one, bro? Though in my whole life, I should floss. How many know you should floss? Okay. I won't raise your hand, although we're pretty authentic and very gracious, but how many do? Yeah, you know what? I thought this would actually be the highest percentage of flossers all day. We know it's good. Here's my regimen. About a week before the dental appointment, I start flossing because I don't want my gums to bleed when they floss, right? How much more is it important in our own life, right, to hear God's words? And trust God's words over our emotion, over what culture says, over tradition, sometimes even over reason. I put on page three a great quote from one of the most popular books ever written from our tribe of followers of Jesus, The Purpose Driven Life, where Rick Warren talks what people build their lives upon. The bottom line, we've got to trust God's word. 
over all those things. You know what maturity is? Maturity, I'll define it for you. Growing in Christ is the distance between conviction and obedience. The distance between conviction and obedience. You get convicted by God from being in his word. The length of time between conviction and obedience, that's the measure of maturity. The quicker you obey, the more mature you are. The longer you delay, the more you have to grow. Maturity isn't the size of your Bible. It isn't how many verses you have underlined. It's not how many songs you have memorized. It's not church attendance. I'm for all of that. But maturity in God's eyes is the length of time between conviction and obedience. Okay? First man built his life on a strong foundation. And look what happened. The rain came down. The streams rose. And I wish that word wasn't in there. I actually wish it was an if. But storms are part of life. They're inevitable. And the winds blew and beat against that house. Again, Jesus is pulling us into the story. He wants us to be afraid as if we're in the house right now. Yet it didn't fall because it had its foundation on what, church? Rock. So good news, everybody. Jesus is teaching storms will come and you won't be spared. That's part of living in a sin-cursed world. This is not shocking to his original readers who were living, again, as destitute people in an occupied territory of the Roman Empire, but it is to us. But it's actually the storms that reveal the strength of your foundation. And the storms also reveal our foundation to a watching world. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, let me just say it again because it's really important. The storms reveal the strength of your foundation. And then the storms reveal the strength of our foundation to a watching world. Really, really important. Jesus is teaching, and uh, you know, then we'll get to the second part. There's building codes in life, people. There's building codes in life. We follow codes, we have to. When we build a structure, when we add on, when we retrofit, we have to follow code. Jesus is simply saying, it's the same with your life. I have a code for life. I have a code for relationships. I have a code for work. I have a code for neighboring. Jesus says, follow the code. Follow the code. So my key question here is, what's the bedrock of your life? Your relationships, your career, your health. What bedrock are you building your life on? Your one and only life. Let's look at page three, destroying your life on the wrong foundation. And I just, I want you to know, I don't want this for anybody. And I know you don't want this. That's why you're here today. No one wants to destroy their life. No one intends to shipwreck their life. No one intends to have a good marriage for about five years and then put it on autopilot for the remaining however. Or to have a good marriage for five years and then end up in a divorce court. Or to have a nice relationship with your kids and then finish estranged. No one, no one intends, I know, I know we don't. But everyone, okay, there it is at Universal. By the way, in my Bible, I cross out everyone, I put Gary, I just made it personal. But Gary, if you build, hear my words and don't put them into practice, you're like a foolish, that's the Bible word for someone devoid of good sense. Really important, that word. Um, a foolish person is not a mentally deficient person. 
Intelligent people can be foolish. They grace our headlines every day, right? In sports and media and other places. A foolish person is a morally deficient person. They're not mentally deficient. They're morally deficient. They think they know more about their one and only life in their three-pound brain than the God of the universe, who's timeless and all-powerful and all-knowing. That is what the Bible calls a fool. It's not a pejorative term. God is not trying to devalue you. It's a logical term. You just lack moral um, intelligence. That's what he's saying here. So those who hear my words and don't put them into practice, like a foolish person who built his house on the sand. This person heard Jesus' words. He just didn't act on them. He thought he knew better. She thought she knew better. They thought they could run their life or run their relationship or run their career or run their values or run their character or run their family by their own code, which they thought was better than God's code. Or they took a portion of God's code and added their code or added some other philosophical code to it. And here's the question I'm going to ask Jesus. Why didn't this guy follow your teaching? He saw the building code. Why didn't he follow it? And even as I typed that, when I was putting this message together, I wrote in my notes three words. Why don't I? Praise God for grace, right? And there's grace for all of us. None of us have followed the building code correctly. Can I get an amen? Yeah, we all fall short, and that's why we gather every Sunday to go, God's grace is better than my sin. But we try to align to the code, and I need you to align to the code. I need to be with you. I need to worship with you. I need to pray with you so I can keep my life aligned to the code. I need to be in the word with you so I can keep my life aligned to the code, right? But did this person think that every day would be a sunny day, so I'll just build my house on the sand? I got a better view than the rock. Did this person think he could be the one and only person in life that discarded obedience to God's word and it work out well for her or him? On December 2nd, 2016, at about 11.20 at night, a fire broke out in a warehouse in Oakland called the Ghost Ship. At the time, does anyone remember this? Right? At the time of the fire, the warehouse was hosting a concert. People lived there when they shouldn't have, and a concert was happening, and the amount of people in the ghost ship was beyond capacity. Both the building and the party were out of code. There were no fire sprinklers at all in the building, and firefighters heard no smoke alarms at all or smoke detectors. The building was cluttered with furniture, piano, art, mannequins, most of which were wooden, and most of which blocked the egress, the exits from the building. Codes didn't matter during party conditions, but they sure mattered when the firestorm hit. Total of 36 people were killed in the fire, deadliest in the history of Oakland, and two ghost ship proprietors were arrested and charged with felony involuntary manslaughter in connection with the fire. Why? Because the city of Oakland really values building codes. The city of Oakland believes it's actually criminal not to follow code. It's tragic. No one intended, including those two proprietors, for 36 people to die. But fires happen. And that's why when it comes to buildings, codes need to be followed. When it comes to life, Jesus is saying, I have a code. It's my word. 
Trust me, you've got to follow it. Yeah, it may work good for you on sunny days, disobeying my word, wandering from my word, leaving my code behind, but storms come, accidents happen, layoffs happen, the economy turns, people walk away from a relationship, doctor gives a prognosis, it's not pleasant. And it's at that moment you'll be grateful that you have something to rest on and a shelter to run to. So what's the code for your life? Really, for your relationships. Let me ask it this way, and I ask this in a very gracious, humble way. Are you, are you, do you know that? Do you know my heart? Loving, gracious, humble. Do I have everyone's attention? Where's the Holy Spirit convicting you right now that a portion of your life is out of code? I'll let you rest in that for 15 seconds. That conviction is God's gracious, loving reprimand to bring your life back in alignment. It's never too late, trust me, I've learned this from experience, it's never too late to retrofit an aspect of your life that's out of code. Jesus is an amazing savior, can I get an amen? And he's still in the business of saving what's lost. We talked about this last week. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what? Literally in the Greek, that which was lost. So whatever the Holy Spirit convicted you of, remember the mark of maturity, the length of time between conviction and obedience. I want to invite you to offer it to the Savior. And say, I'm convicted, this is lost, I have no idea how to bring it back into code. And Jesus will say to you, awesome. That's exactly why we're here together. I brought you to this moment for that very purpose, to bring conviction through story in a way that couldn't come your way. Yeah, that other person's been telling you this for a long time, but now I've got your attention. Bring it to me and let's start there. You're not gonna end there, but start there. And let me do what no human can do. And you just watch, you just watch. If I had more time, I would tell you story after story of aspects of my life, parts of our marriage, parts of my parenting, parts of pastoring, parts of running my own life and my own character that were out of code, that came under conviction. And I said to Jesus, I have no idea how to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And Jesus said, perfect, let me take it. I'm a carpenter, this is what I do. Let me retrofit it from here. That's why we gather every Sunday, because God's grace is better than our sin, amen? That's why we worship, that's why we do it all. So let me pray for you. And let's, uh, let's move forward. That's a good story, isn't it? Yeah. Jesus, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for this amazing message, the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for coming to earth on a rescue mission. Yes, for us, for all eternity, to give our lives to you so you can take care of us in this life and assure us that in the next life, everything's taken care of. But Lord, as we walk through this life, there's parts of our life that are out of code. You've brought that conviction. 
right now, I'm going to silence my voice and let the Holy Spirit nudge you. You bring your voice silently to God. This is out of code. It's called confession. I'm going to change. It's called repentance. I don't want it to be the same. What is that area? Some of you just want to put your whole life on the line and say, I'm not following you at all, and today I want to. Just tell Jesus that. My life is out of code. My whole life. Rescue me. Reorient my life to follow you. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for friends. Thank you for a church where we can gather and be authentic and real and say, like, like Ben said, we're knuckleheads, we're mess-ups. But you're such a good savior and we're here and we want to do it your way and we need your strength. We need you to turn convictions in our heart and align them to your will. We know you'll do it. We trust you for it. Pray for this in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.